Today we will be in um, Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 54. So if you want to get your Bibles or turn on your phones, um, Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 54. And in this passage today, what we are going to be seeing is, is Jesus responding to a few people. See, Jesus is being accused. He's being slandered that he is Beelzebul. Um, and, and not only that, but when he casts out a demon, people want to see more miracles. They, they, they're telling him, we won't believe you unless you show us more miracles. So we've got one group that is saying, you casted out this demon in the name of Satan's, uh, by Satan's power. Um, and so then Jesus gets called Beelzebul. Um, and then there's another group that says, well, you haven't shown us enough miracles. miracles. Show us more miracles and then we'll believe. And so Jesus goes on to answer these two critics, but then there's another um, uh, scene that we are seeing, and, and that's Jesus is invited over to a Pharisee's house, and he pronounces six woes to these Pharisees and lawyers um, because they are not being responsible with the job that God has given them. And so what we will be seeing ultimately in this passage today is that Jesus is enough. Uh, Jesus is enough. Brothers and sisters, in this time right now, we need to be reminded that Jesus is enough. He really is. And so what I would like to do for us right now is read the passage. So if you missed it, Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 54, and then I'm going to pray for us. So starting in verse 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the, man, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He's cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking him uh, a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, I, they will be your judge. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, and finds none. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself and enter. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state, that person, is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the woman, uh, the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. 
When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand. So that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light, but when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part in dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays give you light." While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. The, Pharisees, or the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now, you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers, also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets from your, uh, whom your fathers killed. So you are also witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Heavenly Father, gracious and good God, the creator of all things, the one who has 
um, made this day. You have, you have numbered the days of everything. And so it is you that we come to who, who has created the lands, the seas, the mountains, the depths of the oceans. We come asking that, that you would advance your kingdom from one person to the next, that, that, that this, the realization that the kingdom is upon us and, and that you have come to, to bring people into your kingdom, that, that we would be um, so enamored, so in love with what your son Jesus has done by bringing us into the kingdom, that we would want to go and share that good news, the gospel of your son Jesus Christ. Father, would you please give us our daily bread, everything that we could possibly need this day and the next day, just like how you've continued to sustain us up to this very point. Would you give us good health? Would you protect us from any virus? Would you allow us the basic needs of what we need? Protect us from having too little so that way we um, sin by stealing or coveting and protect us from giving us too much um, which could lead to destruction and forgetting you. Father, please forgive us of our sins that we've been living in, whether we've been slandering or gossiping or whether we've um, uh, committed adultery in our hearts or whether we have um, stolen or coveted um, our neighbor's possessions. Would you please forgive us? Forgive us of maybe the anger that's been building up and welling up inside of us. Forgive us maybe of the, the control that, that we feel slipping out of our hands. We, we, we thank you, though, that, that you reveal sin. Would you cleanse our hearts? Father, we ask for protection. Protection from temptation and the evil one. It is in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. It is no um, hidden fact that right now in America, we are seeing something happen that um, has never really probably happened in America's existence. Maybe a, a few times, but not but not quite like this. We are seeing a mass shutdown of things. As even this morning, as I was watching the news, um, the governor of Los Angeles was calling for people just to stay home. Um, he was saying, just stay home, stay out of the public unless you need to go out for something. We're seeing this massive um, kind of lockdown that's happened and, and, and we're seeing people kind of uh, not kind of, but people grasp for something um, to hold on to during this chaotic time. Um, some of it is, is, is toilet paper. Who knows why that's the thing people are grasping onto. But there's this, this, there's this thought um, and realization that I do not have control over what's happening. And quite frankly, I don't have control over what's to come. We don't have medication or antibiotics to fight this virus that has come. We don't have those things that, that normal viruses and flus that, that we have to protect against. And so people are realizing, I am not in control as much as I thought. And in times past, like in wars, at least we had things to rally behind. But with a, a virus or, or, or something as serious as this, we don't have that rallying point. 
And so people feel like they've lost a sense of control. On the news a few nights ago, I couldn't help but chuckle because um, as one of the, the anchors are saying is that as a city, we will rally around and win against this virus. And I, I, I couldn't help but chuckle because how do you win against the virus? You don't win against the virus, you survive against a virus. And so there is this chaotic um, panic that is happening because people are coming to realize that they, at a, uh, at a moment's notice, can lose control of all things. And when we are not in control, anxiety, fear, stress, depression, all of those things start to grab a hold of our hearts. You see, Part of the problem of mankind is that we claw and scratch to control things because it makes us feel empowered. It makes us feel like we've got it. It makes us feel like we're okay. But what Jesus is doing here, what Jesus is starting to reveal more and more to, to his disciples and to the people around him is that Jesus is strong enough that Jesus will light the way and that Jesus will never give you burdens that will crush you. And we see this happening in this passage today. We, we see this happening in, in three ways. We see that Jesus is strong enough. In, in the first um, 10 verses or so, from verses 14, or, or maybe more than, than 10, 10 verses, but 14 to, to 26, what we are seeing is that Jesus is strong enough. So what we see happening is that Jesus, again, has casted out another demon. There was a man who, who was mute, and Jesus being compassionate and kind to, to those um, casted out this demon. And what we see happen next is, is that there are two responses to this. Well, there, there is one response, people marvel, but then there are two questions um, to what happened. The first is that Jesus is slandered. Jesus is literally called Beelzebul, which means Lord of the Flies. Jesus is, is being accused of being the prince of demons. He's being slandered. And the second response that we're, that we're seeing is that then there's another group of people that say, well, this, this demon casting out, the, this, this man that you just casted out, this demon, this sign wasn't great enough. So, so show me or show us more signs and then we'll believe. Jesus, not really paying attention to the second group, starts with the first group. As, as if we, we look to, to verses uh, 17, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Jesus is interacting with this question because he knows it's ridiculous. A house divided against itself will not stand. It will fall. And so if Satan is trying to advance his kingdom, why in the world would he send his own demons to cast out demons? It's crazy. Jesus knows this. The people who are asking this 
know this, but they're trying to find Jesus. They're trying to find Jesus slipping up and accuse him of anything. They're grasping for straws at this point. They want Jesus out. And the way that they see to do it is slander him by calling him Satan, by calling him the prince of demons. And Jesus then goes on to ask such a very simple question to these people. See, it was a common practice in that day that that other Pharisees, other religious leaders would go and cast out demons. It wasn't that Jesus was doing anything um, uh, overly miraculous. It was just that he was doing it consistent. See, the Pharisees of this day would have still practiced casting out demons. And so Jesus just asks a simple question. If, 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 if demons can only cast out demons, then, then how do your sons cast out demons? They must be evil if um, you, you, your sons, they've got to be evil if they're casting out demons too. Because if, if I'm the prince of demons and the prince of demons only can cast out demons, then who are your sons? Jesus says to them, And then Jesus goes on to say something that is so incredible. He says, but, in verse 20, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Well, that's incredible. That is incredible right there. One thing just to to note really quick is that when we see this phrase, the finger of God, it means that God is doing something incredible. Uh, uh, what, what we see um, when this phrase is said, uh, one of the places that we see is, is all the way back um, with the ten plagues. When the magicians could not recreate one of the acts, they say, this is the finger of God. The other place that we see the finger of God come up is when um, Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments. It's the finger of God that writes out the Ten Commandments, whenever this phrase, the finger of God, is is being uh, uh, said, something is happening here. And something incredible is happening right before uh, these people's eyes. It's that the kingdom of God has come upon you. What what Jesus is saying to the people right here is, is, A kingdom will not be divided against itself because if it's divided against itself, it will fall. And so if Satan is not sending the prince of demons to cast out demons, then it must be something greater. It must be that the kingdom of God has come. It must be that another kingdom, a a more powerful kingdom, a better kingdom, a, a kingdom that is far greater and far superior that is coming to drive out all the bad. And so this is what we actually see Jesus say next. In verse 21, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he is taken away by his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. What Jesus is saying right here is there is somebody stronger that is coming. Somebody stronger has come and is present. And they are. This one that is stronger is stripping the other one of his armor. 
In this illustration, Jesus is saying the one that is standing guard is is Satan. He's standing guard. And Jesus has come to strip him of his armor and divide his spoil. He's, He's come to restore his creation. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus then goes on to tell a parable just in case if they miss what's going on here. Because one thing that we need to realize is that many people of this time thought that the kingdom of God was going to come in the form of of, uh, an army, of something that would take out the the Roman Empire. But what Jesus then goes on to, to say is, is he goes on to tell a, a parable. He tells a parable that, that talks about when an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places. It, it just roams around. It looks for comfort, but it finds nothing. And then it comes to its senses and it says, I will go back to the person that I was in before. And when he comes back to the person, he finds that the house of the person was clean. It was set in order. All of the chairs were finally put back. The dishes are washed and put away. The sink is clean. The the oven top is, is clean. But what happens is this... This demon, it goes and gets seven stronger demons to then come and take up residence in this person's life. What Jesus is saying here is that morally cleaning up your life only works for so long. And how, how often do many of us think, if, if I just clean up my act, if I just clean up my act, then I, I won't struggle with this anymore. If I just clean up my act and I stop going out to bars, then I won't get drunk. If I, if I just clean up my act and I stop hanging out with those friends, then I won't find myself in this type of trouble doing these drugs. If I just clean up my act and I put restrictions on my computer, then I won't be led down sites that will lead me um, to, to love something other than my spouse. If I just clean up my act... And oh, how many people in this world think if I just clean up my act. Right now, we're in a time where people are just telling themselves, you are strong enough to make it through these next couple of months. You are strong enough not to get sick. You're strong enough to stay inside and deal with the problems that are going on around you. But let me tell you this. At some point, those temptations, those desires will overwhelm you so much so that it will lead you down a path of even more destruction than before. And what Jesus is explicitly saying here is he is talking about a spiritual world here. He is talking about the very real sense that when a demon is casted out, it will come back. Ah, but what we also see in this passage is that although, although that 
We may be realizing we're not as strong or we're not as in control as we can be, although we are realizing that we will never ultimately be in control, is that Jesus is strong enough. Jesus shows us that he's strong enough. Jesus, the past 11 chapters of Luke, has continually showed us that he is strong enough. There is only one person that has ever resisted temptation from the evil one, and that's Jesus himself. Jesus is strong enough. Oh, are you tired? Are you anxious? Is your heart weary and burdened? Jesus is strong enough. He really is. He shows us this time and time again. Jesus is strong enough to cast out demons. Jesus is strong enough to carry the load. You don't have to carry it. Because Jesus is strong enough. But see, there's something that happens in us. Well, um, that when we come to this realization that Jesus is, is strong enough, is, 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 that, is that he lights the way, but, but we will never fully believe that Jesus actually is strong enough until we realize that Jesus lights the way. So we can intellectually know that Jesus is strong enough. We can, we can say amen or even come to Jesus for good moral principles, but what tends to happen is that we tend to then turn it on ourselves for we think that we're strong enough. I don't know about you, but how many of you have prayed the prayer, God, I, give me more strength. Oh, how I've just realized that that is a selfish prayer. Uh, uh, that is selfish to pray that. Give me more strength? No, make me weaker. But give me your strength. Because when we have his strength, we've been given the light. We've seen the light. And this is what happens next. As, as what happens next, a, a woman, she's sitting there listening to Jesus. She gives this hearty amen. She says, uh, um, and as he was saying these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice. She was excited. She was going to give her amen. And she says to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the, and the breasts at which you nursed. This woman is excited. She's hearing all of this and, and she's amening Jesus, but then Jesus turns it around and compassionately then tells her this, not to get it confused, not to say that somehow ordinary Mary had some part to play in this. And he says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This is one of Jesus's Teachings, is it not? This is what we saw Jesus teach about a few chapters ago. The parable of the sower as he's talking about the word of God being the seed and being planted deep down. Those that hear the word of God are those that are the good soil where the seed has been planted. But not only are they um, the ones who hear the word of God, but then it's, they're the ones that do the word of God where fruit is born. And it comes. And so we, we see now Jesus replying to the skeptic. He's replying to the one who says, I just need to see more signs. And, 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 and let, me, let me say this to us. No one has ever believed in Jesus by saying, Jesus, just give me a sign and I'll believe. That may be a very um, big thing to say. But I mean, 
Lazarus was raised from a tomb in front of people, and yet people still did not believe in Jesus. Jesus fed 5,000 people, and, and people came back to him, not praising him as the Son of God, but asking for more bread. And so what Jesus is doing is he's replying to the skeptics in, in verses 29 through 32. What, what Jesus is doing here is, is he is um, he's replying by, by saying, okay, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. What is Jesus doing here? He's, he's saying no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. Now, most of his hearers would have known immediately what he was talking about. And Jesus then goes on to explain it for us. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Jonah was to go and preach. He was to go and, and preach the gospel, the, the good news of salvation to the Ninevites, a, a Gentile nation. And Jonah wanted nothing to do with it. So he gets on that boat and, and a big storm comes and, and he, he tells the people on the boat that he has to be thrown out. And as soon as he's thrown out, he gets gobbled up by a, um, a, a big fish. And he's in the belly of this fish. It could have been a whale. It's, it's, I don't know. Who knows what it is? It could have been mega shark or giant squid. Who knows? We don't know what it is. But all we know is that Jonah was gobbled up for three days and three nights, and then he was spit out. Jesus goes on to, to tell us in, in another gospel that, that he would be like Jonah, like Jonah, how Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. He would be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus was to be a greater prophet than Jonah to bring the good news of salvation. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He then goes on to tell the skeptics, the, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. What Jesus is telling these people is, you're looking for a sign. But something far greater than Solomon's wisdom, wisdom itself is right in front of you. The, the queen of the south, Queen Sheba, traveled from the ends of the earth. She traveled thousands of miles just to hear Solomon's wisdom. And when she heard it, he told her about the one true God and she believed. But, but I'm sitting across the street from you and yet what you want is a sign, not wisdom. Oh, how often do we look for a sign by saying, okay, God, if, if that leaf over there just falls down, then this is what you want me to do. Not realizing that God has given us his word. He's given us wisdom. And so then Jesus finishes this part of replying to his skeptics, saying, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. This generation that Jesus has been preaching to has continued to harden its heart against Jesus' preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand, that Jesus has come to set captives free. 
that God himself is in flesh, that the Son of God will die for the sins of the world. And yet, Jonah went and preached this message to the Ninevites, these Gentiles, these these people who absolutely hated the nation of Israel. Jonah went in and preached, and there was a great revival. The people of Nineveh repented. It actually even says that they repented in sackcloth. But yet this generation continues to harden its heart even more. And so Jesus finishes this reply to his skeptics with a bit of a parable. He says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your your eye is the lamp of your body, and when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light, but when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Jesus is now warning his audience. He's he's warning them, but he's also giving them hope. This is a warning of hope. He's he's telling them, look, it's, it's foolish to light a lamp and then put it in a cellar or put it under a basket. This is something that Jesus has already said. He, he said, no one who's received the word is, uh, um, is like a, a person who lights a lamp just to hide it underneath a basket. No, he, he's saying that, that those who hear the word preached are those who do the word. They are like a lamp that has been lit and there's something different about them. They are burning. They, they are on fire. Even if, if the, the wick of the candle is just smoldering a little bit, there still is a bit of a light, more light in the room of your, of your living room than, than what there would be if you put that smoldering um, candle down in your cellar or under a basket. There still would be that little light. And so Jesus is, is telling them, the, the kingdom is at hand. How much more proof do you need? Did you not see me feed 5,000? Did you not hear? Do you not have eyewitnesses that have testified to what I've done? Did you not hear about the, the young man and the young girl that I rose from death to life? The people whom I've been healing? This demon that was just casted out of this man? And you want more of a sign? No, you need a heart transformation. You need the word of God proclaimed to you. You need the light. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Do you have Jesus as your light? Far, far too often, it is easy for us to look at our niceness, to look at our morals, thinking, well, that's what makes me significant in this world. My contribution can be seen as, as my light can be seen as the good works that I've done. Yes, we are to do good works, but your light is not found in your good works. Your light is found in Jesus Christ. He is the true light. He is 
far superior, far more glorious. His light shines far brighter than anything. And what he's telling these people is, look, guys, don't fool yourself. Because when you are blind, you don't see light. And the light does not invade you. But when your eyes have been opened to the great revelation that I have come to be like Jonah, to sit in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights and rise victoriously, then that light will invade all of you. And it will not be dark inside of you any longer. And it is through that light that you are then able to see that Jesus is enough. Through seeing that Jesus provides the light, that Jesus is the light, then we are able to see that Jesus is strong to carry us, to cleanse us, to protect us, and to relieve us. And so we see that this image of a strong Jesus comes through knowing that Jesus is the true light, the perfect Son of God for you and for me. That we then see that Jesus will never lead us astray. Jesus will never lead us astray. I, I feel like I need to say that again just, just because... Uh, maybe my heart needs to hear it again. Um, but Jesus will never lead you astray. He won't. And this is why he confronts these Pharisees um, and, and the lawyers so strongly this next section. And this, is, this, was, uh, this was a concern for me to read, to be, to be honest. I read this and, and I felt so incredibly scared and felt this weight because I do not want these woes pronounced on me. And so while Jesus was speaking, so we see this in verse 37, while Jesus is speaking, a, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. And so he, he went and reclined at the table. And, and one of the customs of the Pharisees at this time is before dinner, you would, you would just wash up. And Jesus decided not to do this. See, this wasn't part of the law of God. It was part of an extra biblical law that, that the Pharisees and lawyers would, um, would uh, make the people live by. And if they didn't do this, then they would be considered unclean. But, but it wasn't actually that they were really unclean in the sight of God. It was just they would have been unclean in sight of other people. And so Jesus, knowing this, decided not to, to wash up before dinner. And he, a, a Pharisee kind of call, calls him out. And when he calls him out, he wasn't uh, 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 expecting the respond that Jesus gives to him. So Jesus gives this quick little parable. Now, you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. What Jesus is saying here is, you Pharisees look nice on the outside, but don't forget, God knows what your heart looks like. Just like how a, a cup on the outside can be clean. It can look nice, it can look fabulous, it can look, it can look ready to be eaten from. If the inside is dirty, you're not going to, to, to eat from that. And Jesus is saying, look, you guys look clean on the outside. You dress up nice, you look like you have it all together. But you're not fooling God, because the inside of your hearts are, are dirty. It's full of greed and wickedness. And then he goes on, oh fools, did, did not he who made the outside also make the inside? God knows. 
And then Jesus goes on to pronounce his, his three woes to the Pharisees. For you tithe mints and rue and every herb and neglect justice and, and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus is saying, look, you guys tithe. You give money. You give your 10%. Good for you. But that means nothing if you're neglecting the poor. That means nothing if you're neglecting justice. That means nothing if you're ignoring the marginalized people and just letting them rot or be harassed or be falsely accused of things that they may have not done. And because of that, you don't even love God. And so woe to you. And so then he goes on to his second woe. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace. You love to show off. You love to sit in the front. You love to be noticed. You love it when people come up to you and greet you because it makes you feel superior. Pharisees, you are all about yourselves. You only care about yourselves. And then he goes on to the third woe. Woe to you, for you are like the unmarked graves and people will walk over them without even knowing it. This last one may sound a little confusing, but but essentially what Jesus is saying here is, look, you guys are leading people in sin. To walk over an unmarked grave or to walk over a a grave would it to be to, to become unclean according to the law of God. And so what he's saying is that the people that follow these Pharisees, these Pharisees are leading people to walk over unclean graves. They're they're causing people to unknowingly live in a way that isn't pleasing to God, that doesn't earn them favor or entrance into heaven with God. And so he's pronouncing these woes. He's saying, you are leading people astray from me. And all you care about is yourself. You only care about what's best for you. And so a lawyer standing up, feeling this this tension in his heart, this anger in his heart, a lawyer would have been a scribe. He tells Jesus, when you say this, you're offending us too, Jesus. You shouldn't offend us. And, And that was maybe the wrong thing to do because Jesus then turns his attention to him. And he says this, woe to you also, Uh, For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Jesus is telling these these lawyers, these, these scribes, you load up the nation of Israel with burdens that they cannot carry. You expect them to live this way that they cannot live. You are telling them to do more things than what the law of God has commanded them to do, and they can't keep it. And oh, by the way, while they can't keep it, you aren't keeping it. You're not expecting the same thing out of yourselves. And so then Jesus goes on to say, So woe to you, for you build uh, the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between uh, the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Jesus is, is telling them, look, 
You guys are no better than your forefathers who killed all of the prophets. Everyone that I sent you to testify about me, to warn you of the judgment to come, you killed them. You even made up their, their uh, uh, temples, or, or not temples, but their burial places. And you killed them. And Jesus, too, will be killed by these people. Jesus is the great prophet who will be put to death by the people of Israel. Jesus is saying, you are walking in the footsteps of your forefathers who killed the prophets who came to testify about me. And the last woe that Jesus then pronounces on the lawyers is, woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. This is a scary Scary thing. We must know who we are listening to and if they are providing the way of the truth to eternal life. If, if I ever stop preaching the gospel or start preaching a false gospel, then break my kneecaps and lock the door. Do not let me come into this church. It is a terrible thing to be teaching a false gospel and what Jesus is telling these lawyers is, look, you have taken away the very thing that gives eternal life. You have taken away the key of knowledge. And because of that, you do not enter into uh, paradise. You will not enter into paradise. And, and what's happening is, is that there are people that are being uh, led astray from that. So like the three woes of the Pharisees, these scribes, these lawyers are doing the same things. Ultimately, what they're doing is leading people astray from the true message of the gospel. They're heaping burdens. They're telling people, if you just do this, if you just live according to this way, God will find you acceptable. You then won't break this law, which won't break that law, which then won't uh, curse you. I don't know if you've ever had a teacher in your life that has just seemed to give you uh, um, just a ridiculous amount of schoolwork. Uh, one of those teachers that just continue to think, I'm the only teacher. Um, I, this isn't a knock against uh, teachers. It's just sometimes some of the work can be a little overwhelming and a lot. Uh, but what tends to happen, I, I, this was in, in college and even in seminary a few times, is you just feel overwhelmed. You, you know that you can't do it. You start weighing and asking the question, okay, if I just do half of this worksheet, I'll get this much percentage on this, and, and maybe if I don't do this, then that won't affect my grade in that class. And this is what the Pharisees and scribes were doing to these people, to these poor people. They were telling them, you have a mark to meet. You have a, a, a lifestyle that you need to live by so that way God can grade you well so that if you live good enough and, and you uh, have a good enough life and you obey the law of God in such a way that he'll let you enter. But yet this isn't how salvation has come. We're even told in Hebrews that it's by faith that those in the Old Testament were saved. God has never saved us on a curve. God has never saved us and looked at us um, and saved us according to our works. What he has done is he's looked upon his son Jesus and his works and he's saved us according to his works. 
You cannot work enough to earn favor with God. It will leave you asking, have I done enough? It will leave you every morning waking up asking, have I done enough? Am I doing enough? And you will go to bed asking the question, I hope I've done enough. If you have looked to Jesus, it's not that you've done enough, it's that Jesus has done enough. Jesus has satisfied the righteous requirement of the law. He lived a perfect life for us. He, he died the, the death of a rebellious sinner, yet not knowing any sin at all. He took all of our sin from us. For those who, who believe in him, he takes all of our sin. He, he died for you. He died for the lost. He died for the weak. He, he died for those who are weary. And so this is how I, I just want to conclude for us tonight. Where is Jesus in, in this? I've already alluded to it a, a few times, but, but, but let's just look at this. Those who are weak then are strong. In, in, in God's economy, up is down and down is up. Those who humble themselves, the, the meek are bragged about, and the proud are humbled. You're not strong enough. You're not. You will never be strong enough. At some point, you will lose control of something. And it will be devastating. Every other religion says that you need to be strong enough. You need to work hard enough. You need to earn God's favor in this way. But the gospel says you're not strong enough. In fact, no one is strong enough. Only Jesus is strong enough. And Jesus shows that strength by going to the cross. Never once for a moment living outside of the will of God, but obeying him perfectly. Jesus is strong enough to save you. You, you, don't, you, you don't have the, the knowledge. You aren't enlightened enough. There is never a, a, an, an amount of enlightenment that you could ever achieve. There's never an, an amount of knowledge that you could achieve to live a good enough life to, to get to the next life, to, to get to heaven. We all are blinded by our sin. We're all blinded by our sinful desires. But yet, Jesus never once was blinded by sinful desire. Instead, became the perfect light for us so that he could shine the light upon our eyes, give us sight to see his miraculous life and death and resurrection so that the light would illuminate our hearts and cause us to love him with all of our heart, soul, minds, and strength. And, and you can't work for your salvation. There are never enough things that you will be able to do. It will constantly be leaving you asking the question, have I done enough? Am I okay? Basing your relationship with God on your merit. And what we are told, what your merit and my merit looks like, is that it's like filthy rags before God. Our good works look like filthy rags before our holy God. But Jesus will never burden us. Jesus, in fact, says, are you burdened and heavy laden? 
Come and take my yoke. Come and follow me. You know, it would be easy right now with what's going on to tell yourself, just got to be strong enough to make it through this. I've just got to be strong enough to make it through this. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling stressed. I'm, I'm, I'm being led to depression. I'm, I'm being led in this way and that way. I'm trying, to, um, I'm trying to, to disconnect my mind by either playing video games or watching movies or, or watching different things or, or, or reading or whatever. I just need to figure out how to strengthen myself in order to get through this. And, and yet, what we are told is Jesus is strong enough. Maybe you're just trying to ignore everything that's going on out there. Everything that's going on right now in this, this chaotic time. Jesus is the light. Look to him. And, and maybe you're feeling the weight. Like, I've got to wash my hands everywhere I've got to go, which is something you should do. I've, I've got to wash my hands. And maybe you, you overkill it and say, oh, I just, I just went outside real quick. I've got to take a shower. Went and got the mail. Got to go take a shower. Went and got the newspaper. Got to go take a shower. If those are the burdens that you're placing on yourself, it will crush you. Look to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough for you and for me. Jesus is strong enough. Jesus has the light, and Jesus will not lead us astray. He will not put on us burdens that we cannot bear. Let's pray. Father, I ask that as everything is going on, that you would continue to strengthen us by your strength, not ours. That you would make us strong in you. That our strength would come from our deliverer. And that you would invade our heart with light. When we get anxious, when we get um, uh, stressed, when we feel panic coming on, that you would allow the, the light to refresh our hearts and souls. And for those that, that feel like they're like a smoldering wick, uh, we're told that you will, not, um, you will not quench a smoldering wick. You won't do that. You love your children. And what I ask is that you would allow us to know that the burden of living this perfect life is not on us, but in fact, your son Jesus lived the perfect life for us and that we can rest in those truths. I pray for my brothers and sisters right now, although that we can't gather, that, 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 that the building doesn't make the church, the people make the church. And so please continue to, to strengthen us with your strength. Give us encouragement. Allow us during this time as a body to come together to love one another. Use this time for your glory. It's in your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen.